Coming to you from New York City, it's the Friars Club Podcast. Established in 1904, the Friars Club is the birthplace of the celebrity roast and has counted the likes of Frank Sinatra, Jimmy Fallon, Billy Crystal, Barbara Streisand, and Johnny Carson among its members. So come on in for a drink and some laughs with your host, Joe Sibilia. Hello and welcome to the Friars Club Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Sibilia, and today... I have the distinct pleasure of talking with the two-time Tony Award winner. He's appeared in numerous stage productions, including Brighton Beach Memoirs, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, and The Producers, and numerous films, including Ferris Bueller's Day Off, War Games, and The Lion King. Would you please welcome the iconic Matthew Broderick. Matthew, thank you for being with me today. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's so nice to talk to you. I should mention you most recently performed in Plaza Suite after, uh, what, two years that that was put on hold because of COVID? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I guess a slightly more than two, maybe. We started in Boston. We had done one month there, came to New York, did our rehearsal, our, you know, tech rehearsal. And then we were on stage in full makeup, costumes, wigs, the day that they um, decided to shut all of, of uh, Broadway down. So we were uh, on on stage when that ha- announcement happened. <laughs> that must have been mind-numbing, to say the least, when the news came down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny because we, we were on stage and we saw, because all day we kind of knew, some, you know, every, the, that last week, I think hockey had shut down, basketball, and uh, we weren't sure why we were even there in a way, but you know, you keep going. And then, uh, then I kept seeing people chatting out in the house in the audience, the director, you know, people running up to him. There just was a lot of talking. So I knew we were nearly done. And then they said, let's take a little break. And then they said, you know, we're going to take a two week hiatus till we get this COVID thing under control. And, you know, we'll see in two weeks, the outside four weeks, you know, <laughs> and then the rest is history, as they yeah. say. Well, here I, we are still masking up. Well, I want to get into all of that with you, but uh, let's uh, start off uh, with a simple question. And that's I'm curious to know how you first became involved with the Friars Club. You know, doing this podcast, I thought I better try to figure that out. And I, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that I. I, I don't know, like maybe a party after Brighton Beach or something like that. I have a feeling we had a bunch of, I think, Manny Eisenberg and, uh, but I don't really remember. I remember when I was a young actor, finally being invited there and being so excited about it and, uh, you know, being where Buddy Hackett had been and, and um, <laughs> I just find it a thrilling place, you know, but I do not really honestly remember how I, how I ended up there. Now, was your father a friar? Because your father, if people don't realize already, uh, it was uh, James yeah. Broderick, the uh, the famous actor. Right. He wasn't involved with the Friars Club at all. No, he was not a friar. He um, uh, he was a he was a stage actor, and then uh, and later very successful on TV, but somehow never in the Friars. I don't know how, why not. And. Uh, I guess I'm not really a great interview because not only do I not know why he wasn't the first, I don't know how I got in or 
or, you know, got whatever I am even. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'm always, always just so delighted to be there, you know, that we can feel the history. Well, I was going to ask you about that. I, you know, I, I was excited when I saw that you were performing in Plaza Suite recently mm-hmm. that you were doing it in the old Hudson Theater. And I was thinking to yeah. myself, you know, that's where they did the original Steve Allen Tonight Show. You know, the Friars Club mm-hmm. is one of those places that has that history. D- does that ever, you know, do you ever lose that the longer you're in this business? You just say it's just a building or d- does that sense of history always stay with no, you? No, I love that. I mean, I, that sense of history is, uh, you know, I'm a, I, I, it's my favorite thing. The first time I got casting a Broadway show, you know, I was, I think tw- I was 21 or tw- 20 and, um, just when I saw the posters of what plays had been there or, uh, I've always loved things like that. I, you know, I grew up in New York and, um, there are, there are landmarks that you're like, when you're actually involved in them or, you know, you're invited to perform in one of those places, you know, it's, it's just a, a great honor. And, uh, I remember when I was a, about 20, I, I remember thinking at one point, I was like, I feel like I'm working for the mayor. Yeah. When I'm on Broadway, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm on the mayor's team. <laughs> I don't even know who the mayor was. Oh, what, uh, oh, was what year was that? Koch. The 80s? Koch, yeah. Koch, yeah, yeah, because, yeah, it was Koch. That's so I worked for Mayor Koch, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Part of his, you never thought you'd go into politics by going into show <laughs> business. <laughs> yeah. Well... Yeah, <laughs> more or less. Over the years, I know you've uh, attended many of the Friars roasts. You went to the Richard Pryor roast, the Billy Crystal yes. roast. What were some of your uh, favorite uh, moments from uh, the roast that you went to? And were there any other ones that you uh, recollect that you were in yeah. attendance at? I sat next to Mr. T at one of them, which was really, really? yeah, this was like right around Rocky three time. And I had a nice uh, conversation with Mr. T and, um, but those roasts were, uh, I would always meet people I would just never think that I would, you know, get to talk to. And uh, Bobcat Goldthwait, I just, I just always loved the people I would run into, you know. Um, I was a huge Richard Pryor fan, so to get to just shake his hand was a, a great thing for me. Now, I know that when he was doing that, he was not in the best of health at the time. Do you remember what the mood was at the roast? Was he uh, sort of uh, open to being uh, ribbed on stage or uh, did he become emotional at all? What, what was that like uh, to be there at that time well, in his life? Well, the, the, the truth is I I don't remember what I, – I sound like I'm senile, but I, I, <laughs> I had something to do. I had something – I was not actually free to go. I didn't go to that roast. I went to the beginning of the roast – to, to uh, meet him. Oh, okay. I see. But I missed the actual, but I I remember reading about it. Um, And yeah, I know you're right. He was not, you know, at his best, I don't think in his health by then, Um, which is sad because I've also seen him roasted. There's a roast. If you ever saw of him when he did the Richard Pryor show, when it was canceled. Yeah. If you buy the at home, you know, DVD collection or whatever, once the show was over, they did a, they did a little roast with the cast. Yeah, they all roasted Richard Pryor, and then he gets up last, and he's so incredibly mean and funny <laughs> to his uh, to the rest of the cast. That I just when he was at his at the height of his powers, I can't think of anybody better to be roasted or who would be more frightening when they finally got up and hit back. 
Now, uh, let me ask you, you know, you're a, a relatively young guy. Where does your love for uh, this era of show business come from? Was it fostered by your father? Were you always an old soul growing up back uh, yeah. when when you were a kid? I probably was. I mean, yeah, my dad and I watched The Honeymooners when I was a kid, and I think that had a huge effect on me. Um, Phil Silver's... Uh, and he, I liked his records. I always liked older stuff for some reason. Um, and then my mom also, my mom was a big Mel Brooks fan. And uh, I got into uh, the 2000 year old man when I was, you know, nine or 10. I, there's a million people who can tell like exactly this story, but I would, I'm one of them. I would fall asleep with the 2000 year old man playing. And then I bought the 2013-year-old man, and I, I kept buying more albums with my uh, babysitting money. And uh, I just fell in love, you know, and Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddle, that era. And then finally Neil Simon, who I had the incredible good fortune to uh, work with. And basically my first uh, lead in a play was Neil Simon, who I had who was one of these guys who I'd grown up, uh, you know, worshipping, basically. Neil Simon, of course, was a member of the Friars Club. And, uh, of course, you worked with Mel Brooks later doing The Producers. Mm -hmm. I was curious to ask you, what was the difference between uh, these two giants? Because if I'm not mistaken, they both started together on uh, yeah. Sid Caesar's shows, writers. Okay. What was yeah. the difference between uh, working with Neil Simon and working with Mel Brooks? Oh, very different. I mean, I'm not sure their humor is totally different. You know, Mel is, cra is crazier. Is um, I call him Mel because I worked with him. In well, you know, <laughs> first name basis. Can I call yeah. you Matthew? <laughs> sure. Okay, great. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, there couldn't be more different in terms of like, Mel is very outgoing, makes a lot of jokes, except when he's not in a great mood. But <laughs> and he's. Uh, you know where you stand with him, you know, and and he's uh, he's generally extremely friendly and gregarious and and all that. And and Neil was uh, was reserved. I mean, yeah. I I the interactions I had with him were um, great. Like uh, he could be extremely supportive and kind, but he was not. Uh, an outgoing person, the, 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 at least at work. I didn't know him personally so well. Whereas Mel, you would end up uh, at the hotel bar after rehearsal, always with, always wanted to, you know, to eat together, to, you know, to to kibitz with the with the cast, with with all of us. And uh, Neil would kind of go home. Neil Neil would talk to the director, and then you know they were the grown ups, and I was one of the cast, one of the the kids. So I, I didn't have the same relationship with Neil um, as Mel, but um, but I do have like some beautiful letters from him, and and I wrote him, and we and we, you know, I think we had a good connection. But but he was just he was he was much much quieter than Mel Brooks. Most people are quieter than Mel Brooks, <laughs> even Carl Reiner. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not Carl Reiner. <laughs> yeah. Could be the one exception. So now, was it intentional when you just did a Plaza Suite that you did a Neil Simon play, considering he sort of uh, gave you a big break 
doing yeah. Brent Beach? Well, no. I mean, I I always wanted. I just always like his writing, and then um, uh, I, I also did the Odd Couple with Nathan years earlier. Um, but uh, th- this was the first play I think on Broadway, anyway, after Neil died, uh, probably. But but it wasn't some big plan to about Neil Simon. It was more that uh, my wife and I did a reading of the play for a little audience at the Symphony Space for John Hickey, who's our friend and he directed it. And uh, he, it was, so it was the three of us were just trying to think of a play that would be fun to read out loud. And another friend said, you guys should be Plaza Suite, you know, that you'll enjoy that and the audience will. And the, and the audience seemed to really love it. So uh, then we thought, well, let's, uh, that was a fun reading. Maybe it'd be fun to do with the actual show. You know, how can we never do this show when you have a good reading? You never, it never ends up like a show. And, you know, John Hickey, the director, heard that and was like, <laughs> made whatever phone calls. And, um, you know, a couple of years later, there we were, uh, you know, and doing the doing the show. Now, this was and you can please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. This was the first time that you had worked with your wife, Sarah Jessica Parker, in something, I think, some 20 odd years. So yeah. if you could do another show with mm-hmm. your wife what show would you want to do would you want to do a musical uh yeah. have you even thought about maybe doing another show um not you know we only do, feels like we didn't finish this one that long ago um but you know i think if any to tell you the truth we kind of learned that we seem to be able to work with each other without what is it they said at the beginning of the odd couple on tv without driving each other crazy <laughs> Exactly. And two men live together without driving each other crazy. Um, so we seem to be able to do that. So it would be nice to find something else. You know, everybody keeps saying the gin game, but they're just making fun of how old we are. So they say, now we can do the gin game. But uh, I, I don't know if we find it. But I, I do think that would be a nice possibility to, to if we ever can think of something else to do. Yeah. What what were some of the issues that you and the team faced in trying to translate the producers from yeah. a stage musical to a film musical? Yes. Uh, well, you know, that was largely Susan Stroman and Mel trying to figure that out. Um, you know, the bigger translation was to go from a of uh, the original movie to a musical. You know, Mel had to write all these songs and and Stro had to think of all these things and, and uh, Mike Ockren, her husband who had, I think began, but then he, he, he got sick. Um, so, so the big probably deal was to figure out how to musicalize the producers uh, and then making a movie of it. I think, I, I don't know that I know Mel, I remember Mel saying when we were getting toward the end of the run of the play that, uh, he said, they want to, you know, we could film this for, you know, the PBS style where you like, they're not PBS anymore, but where, where you film a live performance. And, On the you know, stage in the theater. Yes. Which are now, they're quite good, I think. They've gotten very good at that. Yeah. But, but this was, um, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. And, and now they're probably, anyway, Mel said, I, I, those things are good, but they always kind of stink too. I remember him saying, so he was like, I want to do a big a movie of it, you know, a regular movie. Um, so then they had the, uh, 
you know, the, the challenge of that, um, which is a challenge because I think as we all, I don't want to speak for them or anybody else, but, but I, you know, that show was largely about, uh, the audience in a way, you know, this crazed audience that we were lucky enough to have, who were so happy to be there and gave it so much energy. And then, so to me, the biggest change was to do it without any laughs, stupid as it sounds, that just the timing of it, every, everything was just, uh, quite different. You have, you have to really reinvent it. I, I, um, and I don't know how successful or not we were. Um, I did, uh, a movie of Bluxy Blues, which is a play, a Neil Simon play that I did. Yeah. Um, and that again was, I was so used to the rhythms of these laughs and, but that one was a little more straightforward. It wasn't, you'd have to break into song and, you know, it, it, that that was sort of easier, I guess. But anyway, it's always a challenge to, this is a long answer that's not, you know, it, it's it's very challenging and sometimes they work better than other times and I, I, it's mysterious to me. Well, I, I was quite impressed uh, by just how facile you were in doing a Christmas Story Live a few years ago. And that okay. must be uh, quite the challenge to try and not only do a musical, but do it live on television without any that, net. Yes, that was really, I want to say awful, but I'm on, I'm on TV or whatever. <laughs> this is, so I won't say that, but um, it was very, very frightening Yeah, because uh, I was the narrator. Yeah. Which sounded, you know, I got sent, I loved that musical when I saw it on Broadway and then I thought, and they said, hey, you can play the narrator. I was like, oh, that'd be nice, easy narrator, you know. That could be, yeah. you know. The Gene and, Shepherd uh, character. Right. I love Gene Shepherd. They're great. Is he a friar? He might have been a friar. I, I wonder. I, 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 I only wish I knew. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, it, my father worked for him a couple of times. So I really? met him when I was a little kid. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. What, I, so what did your father work with him on? And uh, what My father played the old man, you know, the the, the in the you know, the father in, uh, yeah. in Phantom of the Open Hearth and uh, oh. something called the Great Fourth of July. I, I, I think he put, there's two of them on PBS. I mean, that you can, you can YouTube that are really great. Oh, I got to look that up. Yeah. And he was hilarious as um, the part that Darren McGavin played in, in uh, a, a Christmas Story. Yeah. Yeah. But, but anyway, yeah. So I, I learned all these lines, you know, the, you think of narrator as I'll sit in a room with a little music stand and there'll be a microphone and, yeah. <laughs> and I'll narrate it. But this is me wandering around, you know, the, the lot at uh, whatever that studio is and um, on live television with, a, you know, I think many thousands of people watching. I and, was among uh, them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they take little commercial breaks and you, somebody grabs you and leads you over to the next spot. And I had a guy who's a wonderful helper whose name I cannot remember. I almost feel like I imagined him, but there was this man helping me the whole time. I was so dependent on him. He had an iPad and he would show me what scene was next. I never did it on stage, so I wasn't like the most experienced narrator of this story, yeah. you know, what comes next. So he would <laughs> say, you know, now you're at the, you know, you're, he's buying the BB gun and you're going to say this. And he would show it to me and I said, okay. 
and then the camera and then they count down and it just I didn't know what would happen if I forgot. So they don't even give you cue cards for something like that, no. like SNL, where at least you have the no, cue cards. No, I have no cue cards at all. Well, the director said, if you have cue cards, that's all you're going to do. So I'm going to not give you cue cards. Oh, my goodness. And he was probably right, but because um, it's very hard to go back and forth. Yeah. And he was like, I don't want you to be reading um, Scott Ellis. Uh, so that's what we decided, which would definitely be correct. But the question was, have I had enough time? Have I worked on this enough? Is my brain young enough to remember all of it? Which, thank God, I think I blew one joke. I skipped one joke. In, in, ironically, in the one little scene that I had. <laughs> Mary Martin and Cyril Bouchard made it look so easy when they would do Peter Pan on MPC. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Far it, more complicated. Well, they had done... They had done it on stage, correct? So like yes, in their in their bones, and I I had not, you know. So this was, uh, but uh, you know, it was great, great challenge, and uh, all those children everywhere, they all remembered everything, no problem, no nerves. You know? <laughs> Ignorance is bliss, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, you'll be all right, Mister Prodrick. They'll be all right. That's great. <laughs> you know, as a child, you, you speak of children. Uh, I grew up uh, hearing your voice as not just Simba, adult mm. Simba. Adult Simba, yeah. Adult Simba. Uh, yeah. Now, how were you cast in The Lion King? How, how does one become the voice of uh, an iconic Disney character? And uh, let me ask you, did you think that it was going to be the success that it wound up being? No, no I did, had no idea. This was kind of early on in the resurgence of... Uh, Disney, you know, features of, of, of the, the full length cartoon that I think, I think I was in Ireland. I remember when I got a call, they were like, the, Jeffrey Katzenberg wants you to play a lion, you know, and uh, <laughs> said, well, that, that figures. Um, <laughs> I didn't know much about it. They kind of told me the story, I think, over the over the phone. And I was, of course, of course, wanted to do it. And I never had to audition or anything, but I know now that had it, had they been unhappy with it, they would have, that's how they do it. They just replace you if they don't, it doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. I know enough about, I've done a few of these now. It's just whether it's working with the, with the images and, but luckily I got to, I stayed throughout it. It took about two years to my end of it, I think on and off, you know, and it was a fascinating process. I saw the, clay models that they had of my character so oh, yeah. that the animator can look at it from different angles and you know and in those days um the guy who drew me would sometimes sit in the room while I was recording because he liked to see live the uh expressions of the actor so it was so uh fascinating uh to and uh, to get a glimpse inside you know since you're uh, since you I mean since I was little I've loved those cartoons I loved Snow White when I was a boy uh, join and, the club um, <laughs> yeah and yeah I was adult Simba Jonathan Taylor Thomas was young Simba and uh his voice changed and he turned into me <laughs> and little did you know uh, Nathan Lane you'd work with so many years later yes. doing uh I didn't I met Nathan one time he was recording with uh, Ernie Sabella who I also he was Pumbaa Timon and Pumbaa yeah and then Ernie and uh I worked with Ernie later. They, they replaced um, Nala, the woman who was playing my bride. Yeah. If you can call a lion. The bride of the pride. Girlfriend. 
I don't know what she is, but she, <laughs> they did replace an actor and nobody told me. <laughs> well, I remember I went to the uh, a preview and they were like, here, this is, um, I forget who finally did it. Was it Moira Kelly? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, who I know a little bit. And uh, I said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm, I'm, I'm Nala. And I was like, really? God, nobody told me that. You were not Nala two years ago when I read with somebody else. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but anyway, I also, yeah, it was very exciting to, to, to I'm very glad to be in that thing, I, you know. Do you regret doing the sequels? <laughs> no, I don't. I did. Uh, I don't. I think I only did one of them. I did um, Lion King two and a half or something like that. Yeah. A little, little twist on the idea. Yeah. <laughs> of a sequel or one and a half or something like that. You got to love it. Now, another movie you did, which I uh, absolutely loved, was uh, I don't know. People don't talk about this enough. Was Tower Heist. Oh, yeah. And you did that with uh, Ben Stiller and mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy. I, yeah. I could just picture that being like the Rat Pack, you know, like like yeah, all yeah. you guys hanging out. Was it anything like that? I know it was sort of inspired by Ocean's Eleven, or it yes. sort of had that twist on it. Yeah. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, it was. Um, it was a a lengthy. It wasn't like the old days when they would show up after their act for four hours and shoot in the desert or something. You know, we were shooting. 14 hour days in Queens. So it wasn't quite what I read that Rat Pack was like, but, uh, <laughs> but I know I've known Ben for a while because of, uh, he directed the, um, cable guy, which I was in too. Right. So I've known uh, Ben Stiller for a long time and, uh, I love Ben Stiller. And, uh, so I was, it was nice to be with him again. Um, I became very uh, good friends with, uh, Casey Affleck. It, it, it was a, we all got along. We had, we, we spent a lot of time together and uh, became friends. And um, Eddie Murphy, who I've kind of idolized since I was, well, we're about the same age, but he always, you know, I was a youngster, I think, or not, I guess I wasn't a youngster, but I wasn't really in show business yet when he did uh, SNL. So he's like, uh, he's a God, you know? So, uh, yeah, I guess the the short answer is it wasn't as much like the Rat Pack as I wish, but I did get to meet and enjoy everybody, really everybody. And 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 Brett Ratner, the director, was um, a lot of fun to be around. Well, let me close because I know what we're running short on time. But let me ask you, why do you think that the Friars Club has uh, lasted all of these years, and why do you think it still continues to endure in the uh, show business community? Well. Um, I think because probably like a lot of performers, at least me, I mean, I, I, I'm speaking for myself, but we don't always get a whole, a tra- that, we love tradition, you know, we love to be someplace where Henny Youngman worked or there's just something, so I think since you, you float around so much in show business, you, uh, you're always working with new people and, uh, starting something new and so any place that gives you some continuity and connection to the to the past greats is uh is something you love and so i think that's that's why but then of course there's reasons for people who aren't even uh who aren't performers to to love it too but um that that's my attraction to it and why it keeps going um and it's a it's a 
I don't know. It's a club. You don't have to be like an old English baron, but you're in a club. <laughs> Very few English barons in the Friars, I think. Maybe, but, uh... maybe so, but I can't get into those, you know, British <laughs> ones by the. Uh... Well, listen, uh, to, to have uh, Matthew Broderick in the Friars Club is uh, enough for us. Yeah. And uh, I thank you so much for talking to me today because it has been an absolute delight to, to hear some of your memories oh. and working with uh, so many of the great Friars, uh, Neil Simon yeah. and, uh, and Ben Stiller and so many others. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank I, you. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I did. I definitely very much enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Friars Club podcast. Please be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information on the Friars Club, please visit FriarsClub.com. We hope to see you there.